This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. It's 7.06 a.m. on Friday, the 22nd of December. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Anwar Mahbob. In half an hour, we're going to review the year in tech stocks and whether the Magnificent Seven will continue their bull run into 2024. But as always, we're going to kickstart the morning with a look at how global markets closed overnight. It was a very good trading day in U.S. markets. The Dow closed up 0.9%. The S&P 500 was up 1% and the Nasdaq was up 1.3%. On the Asian front, it was a bit of a mixed bag. Nikkei was down 1.6%. Hang Seng was up 0.04%. The Shanghai Composite was up 0.6%. STI was up 0.1%. And our very own FBM KLCI was down 0.6%. So for some thoughts on what's moving international markets, we have on the line with us Brian Arcees, Portfolio Manager and Equity Analyst with Ford Asset Management. Brian, good morning. Thanks as always for joining us. Let's start with uh, looking at regional stocks uh, this time around. Regional stock markets have underperformed this year with the MSCI Emerging Market ASEAN Index down 6% year to date. What then is your outlook for Southeast Asian equity? in 2024. Are we going to see better performances? Sure. Good morning and, and thank you for having me. I think for us, we always have to go back to fundamentals and, and bottom-up kind of underlying earnings. So if we look at performance for this year, we did see headwinds, in particular in Thailand, which was an expensive market. It's about 20-25% of the, the ASEAN index. And as 40 to 50% of trade flows in that market are foreigners, uh, who became a bit weary and just nervous about uh, political changes in Thailand during 2023, had really withdrawn from the market. Mm. We do see that changing next year. Uh, and, and in particular, I mean, 15% earnings growth or so in Thailand, um, 10 plus percent earnings growth in Indonesia, with both markets growing sort of real GDP in the 2 to 3% range. So we do think the prospects are quite promising for ASEAN equities in 2024 relative to 2023. The performance of Japanese equities is inversely relate, correlated with a weaker yen. Now, given that relationship, do you see the BOJ's present policy on its yield curve control helping or hindering the current bullishness on Japan stocks? It certainly has helped. I mean, a weaker yen for two reasons. One, uh, simply helping the competitiveness of Japanese exporters. So 20% of GDP in Japan is exported, which is about twice as high as it is in the U.S., for example. It is quite high for a developed market, certainly far below what it is for countries in ASEAN, for example. Um, But it's still quite a high number. So a weaker yen does improve competitiveness. That being said, the companies and the market has also done well as investors have been hopeful that economic growth would continue and that Japanese management teams have focused more on return on equity and returns to shareholders than they have previously. So there is a bit of a nuance. I mean, exiting yield curve control, as investors expect, sometime during the second half of next year, potentially, and rates rising, I mean, could result in a stronger yen, obviously, and then decrease the competitiveness of Japanese firms. However, I mean, one does need to take a step back and say, are higher rates and the stronger yen a function of better growth? And if that's the case, then the market may continue to do well next year. Even though the index is up 27% on a year-to-date basis? I mean, it's one of the best, best best-performing global markets out there. 
It, it absolutely has been. And I think it's really going to be important next year relative to this year to look at individual stocks within Japan. I mean, those that have benefited most, not only from translation gains, but just from that increased competitiveness, will certainly face a headwind. So it really depends on if investors see domestic growth increasing, and if that's the reason that rates are rising, then some of the Japanese domestic firms may be preferred over the exporters, which were certainly preferred this year. Let's take a look away from stocks and bonds and looking at other assets. I mean, we see gold and Bitcoin uh, staging recoveries this year. What alternative assets would you recommend investors to add towards a portfolio for 2024? Sure. So from our standpoint, we are holders of gold. Um, we aren't holders of Bitcoin, <laughs> but really the, our, our holding in gold is, it's not, I mean, many investors chat about gold as a potential hedge against inflation, which in our mind, it, it really isn't, but it is a hedge against geopolitical risk and volatility. And certainly if we look geopolitically globally, we're seeing risks, if anything, marginally increase than decrease. We see this both with individual investors, institutional investors, and global central banks, which have also increased their purchases of gold, not only to hedge the, the geopolitical risk, but to hedge the dollar as well. With And then the, the final piece that, that could be a boost for gold next year as well is that as we see rates coming down, kind of the other side of the mountain, then the opportunity cost for holding gold will continue to come down. It's obviously a non-interest uh, bearing instrument. And then quickly comparing it to Bitcoin, I mean, what, what we like about gold is that it is a store of value. It's, it is far less volatile than Bitcoin. And it's, an easier, um, it's easier to use as a medium of exchange. So it's not that we are kind of fundamentally opposed to Bitcoin, but for us and for our portfolios and investors, gold is certainly the, the better choice. Given that global interest rates are expected to head downwards in the near to medium term, how much cash yield assets should an investor keep as a percentage of their asset portfolio? Sure. Well, certainly rates are far more attractive, both nominally and real, relative to what they had been 18 and 24 months ago. So when we were chatting kind of one and a half, two years ago, we had almost nothing in our portfolio in fixed income instruments because we didn't feel that the yield that investors were receiving was adequately compensating them for the risk that they were taking. Today, that is quite different. So we have about 20% of our multi-asset portfolios in fixed income instruments, both corporate and sovereign credit. And we do think that that is, at the moment, the appropriate amount uh, to, to keep in that, that fixed income category. I mean, ultimately, for investors, the real benchmark over the long term is and, and has always been inflation, needing to earn a real return on their assets. And in order to do that, one needs to be invested in equities. But one needs to take a balanced approach. And now that yields are offering an attractive return, um, it's sensible to have a, a meaningful portion of the portfolio there. What about commodities? Oil itself hasn't done very well on a year-to-date basis, and I believe that most hard, uh, most metals except for copper haven't done well either. Is 2024 the year to look at that? It's a great question, and I think that on a short-term view, my answer would be I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reason being is that commodities over shorter periods of time, 
even up to a year uh, or more are quite difficult to predict commodity prices. But the way that we do invest in the space, because we are quite heavily invested both on the energy side and the metal side, is to take a properly long-term view, which in, in this sector one really needs to do. And if we look at kind of energy, oil in particular, or fossil fuels in general, we do see a sector that's been significantly underinvested in. So over the medium term, we think that there will be a lot of support for oil prices. And so we're quite happy to invest um, in integrated energy companies, for example. And the same can be said as we invest in the renewable transition, which will require a lot of metals in particular and including copper. So while it's very difficult to predict kind of that near-term copper price, one can see that going forward on a medium-term view, the world is really undersupplied in a key metal that will be required to further the energy transition. So we're quite comfortable investing in that space as well. Brian, thanks so much for speaking to us and have a Merry Christmas this weekend. That was Brian Arce's Portfolio Manager and Equity Analyst with Ford Asset Management, giving us his take on some of the trends that uh, he sees moving markets in the days and weeks ahead. Also, some tips on how you may want to uh, arrange your portfolio mm. in 2024. He did some express some optimism in Thailand. I mean, after all, Thailand has finally, ha finally has a government already and Prime Minister Shreta is actually rolling out some policies and fund managers are putting Thailand back in the radar. But however, for Indonesia, next year is an election year. So I'm quite ambivalent on that idea, actually. I think it's all going to be how strong is the US dollar going to be? Is the Fed going to cut rates? If that's going to happen, then likely we might see some inflow back into emerging markets. At the moment, US, you really, it's unbelievable the performance of, right. of NASDAQ, S&P 500. Of course, very, very, very concentrated on these magnificent seven. And then I thought wet bush securities is going to give us more info on that after the 7.30am news bulletin. It's so odd. You would think that it would be a self-fulfilling prophecy that uh, you know equities will go down, we'll see a US recession this year because it's all we've been talking about this yeah. entire year. But no, US economy is is booming. Uh, but let's take a look at uh, some earnings that have crossed our table. And eh, this is kind of a, a, an indication of where things might go, perhaps. But uh, we have Nike's earnings. Um, they missed their quarterly sales estimates. Uh, the company also announced plans to cut costs by $2 billion US dollars over the next three years. Earnings per share for the second quarter came in at $1.03, which is better than analyst expectations. Sales, though, rose only around 1% to 13 $13.4 billion, falling short of estimates for the second quarter in a row. Now, Nike's gross margin increased by 1.7 percentage points to 44%, surpassing estimates thanks to better inventory composition, strategic pricing actions, and lower freight rates despite challenges like unfavorable exchange rates and higher product costs. Okay, so what was the bad? The bad was that the sales were low, uh, were weaker in certain markets, mainly China, and of course, Europe, Middle East, and Africa which means that basically it was just Asia, excluding China, and US where sales were, were strong. Online sales were also weaker than expected, so that's why the outlook, I think, and it did see some selling after market hours trading. So like you said, Charles, they are going through a restructuring and they're going to do it in terms of dismissing workers. They're also going to simplify the company's product assortment, I think because they don't want to hang on to too much inventory if they can't sell it because that will mean uh, write-downs in coming quarters. Now, the stock is actually up 4.7% on a year-to-date basis. It's not cheap. 
rate is trading at 32 times forward PE, 29 buys, 14 holes, just two sells. Now, in terms of the analyst expectations of the price target, the stock is 126 US dollars. Last time price during regular market hours was 122 US dollars and 53 cents. All right. I think we have ve- enough time to very quickly squeeze in one more earnings, and that is cruise company Carnival. Their stock surged after reporting narrower losses and revenue that beat estimates as demand continues to strengthen and give operators enough room to increase ticket prices. Now, revenue in the fourth quarter jumped by 41% to $5.4 billion, higher than estimates of $5.3 billion, while net losses narrowed from $1.6 billion a year ago to $48 million. I think the theme of recovery, vengeance travel, revenge travel is in the price. The stock is already up 138% on a year-to-date basis. Analysts are expecting clearly that this stock will turn around, no longer be in a loss because I see forward PEs of 21 times. Now, does the street like this name? Are you going on a cruise, Shaz? Oh, I'd love to. I've never been before, but <laughs> I you? have been and influenced would you a be lot. Going? Not anytime soon. Why not? Apparently, it's very popular now. Well, don't forget, the pandemic really had a big impact on yes. cruising, right? So yeah. I think there are still legacy remnants of that. But as it goes, it's going on an uptick. Um, yeah, and the street's starting to believe it. 17 buys, 6 holes, 2 sells. Consensus price target nineteen US dollars forty three cents. Last time price nineteen US dollars and nineteen cents. <laughs> okay, very close to the target price then. Seven twenty in the morning. We're going to head into some messages, but we'll come back to cover the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned. BFM eighty nine point nine. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.